Welcome to Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And just want to remind you guys again about the contest we're running. Uh, it runs to the end of this week on uh, Saturday, where you can win a copy of both Bob Gers, designed just for fun, and Rolly Crumps, It's Kind of a Cute Story. Um, go to our Facebook page, uh, facebook.com slash Weekly or communicoreweekly.com, where you can enter. All you got to do is like some Facebook pages. Uh, you get one one entry for every like that you do you also get 10 entries if you uh donate to our hurricane sandy relief fund um we got a lot of entries so far like a lot of them so uh you know 600 yeah yeah i think i thought we were up to seven i don't know but geez either way if you want to win 700 is still over 600 oh i i I obviously cannot count sorry guys (laughs) my bad the point is, if you want to win two really good books, and they're expensive books too, so like mm. you're basically winning almost two hundred dollars worth of free stuff. So that's and awesome. you get Jeff Heimbuck's autograph. Yeah, my autograph is in one of the books. Spoiler: It's in Bob Gers. It's a little weird. That's okay. <laughs> anyway, go to the Facebook page, facebook.com/slash/communicorweekly. Enter it under the giveaway tab. It'll be awesome. It's time for Disney. So during the first 10 years of Disneyland's existence, Walt Disney really tried to handle all the park-related media events and public appearances all by himself. But by the mid-1960s, it got to be a little bit too much for him, and the increasing demands on his time, especially with the planning of Walt Disney World and Epcot, he, he really needed to hire an additional Disneyland official representative to meet with the public at all these events and stuff. And so the role of Miss Disneyland was born. The role was started in 1965 and was known as Miss Disneyland for years until they changed the title to Disneyland Ambassador to the World. So from 1965 until 1994, the position was given only to female cast members who were selected on the basis of their appearance, personality, and work ethic. Each year, a new Miss Disneyland slash ambassador would represent the park in parades, TV, and special events. The very first Miss Disneyland was selected in 1964, but she actually began serving in 1965 to help celebrate the park's uh, centennial. So, she was 21-year-old Texan Julie Ream, and Ream was a local college student who had been a Disneyland tour guide for the last two years. Now, some of you may remember Julie from her appearance on the January 3rd, 1965 episode of Walt Disney's Wonderful World of Color TV show. Um, it was the 10th anniversary episode, and she was wearing her tour guide uniform, and she was helping uh, preview the upcoming Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the Haunted Mansion. She even talked to Rolly Crump about the Museum of the Weird, <laughs> which is really cool. But, uh... Julie is often looked at as the best ambassador to ever fill the role, as Disney legend Jack Lindquist said in his uh, memoirs. And she was also the only one to be given a new car along with the title, which is kind of cool. 
<laughs> Connie Swanson, another tour guide, was the second Miss Disneyland. While Swanson didn't appear on The Wonderful World of Color, she did travel extensively on behalf of, of Disneyland. In fact, many of the ambassadors did a lot of traveling in their role, such as Melissa Taylor, no relation, ambassador of 1985, who circled the globe on a 30-day flight with Mickey to help celebrate the park's 30th anniversary. In 1995, the title went plural, and an ambassador to the world team was selected, with men added to the mix. Actress Julie Andrews was named an honorary ambassador to the world in 2005 as part of the park's 50th anniversary. He's a nerd, he's a geek, but we all like to hear him speak. So listen up to the words from his beat. It's George's Book of the Week. Marking the Millennium, the Celebration of a Lifetime at the Walt Disney World Resort. Uh, this book was released in 1999 and is just 96 pages, but it's a pretty comprehensive look at the design and construction of the Millennium Celebration at Epcot. This 15-month-long celebration took place from October 1999 until January 2001. And if you ask most Disney fans, they will probably think of the Sorcerer's Wand with the 2000 on it. Blech. <clears throat> Sorry, Jeff. You, did you say Excuse something? Excuse me. Excuse, oh, excuse me. Jeff. I made a noise. <laughs> Anyone that visited Epcot during the celebration might remember some other details, and this book actually tells the story. The first section looks at the Tapestry of Nations Parade. And you know, Disney has always struggled with the parade route at Epcot, um, hence the lack of a parade since the mid-1980s. But they wanted Epcot to be the center of the Millennium Celebration, and you have to have a parade. Uh, the four chapters in this section uh, detail the creation of the story, designing the parade, making the Millennium Clocks, which were really cool, and the costuming. It's the largest part of the book by far and offers the most concept art and behind-the-scenes information. Gary Pabin, I hope I'm saying his name right, was the Walt Disney World Entertainment show director for the Millennium Celebration, and he was the main driving force uh, and also offers a lot of insights into the design and the development. Michael Curry is introduced. He's an artist from Oregon who also designed the puppets for The Lion King. Did he have to take the trail there? An expert on puppetry. What? Did he have to take the trail there? Yes, he did the Oregon Trail, and everybody died of dysentery. We see his concept art for the puppets and the design and building of the massive pieces. Uh, the development of the Millennium Clocks was fairly interesting, and there are lots of pages with designs and shots of the, the, the drums actually in action. Did they yeah. have to ford the river with the Millennium Clocks? or? Yes, they did. That one, well, they got the bridge that goes over it. Did well, they have anyway. <laughs> I'm done with, I'm sorry. This, this joke has run its course. Carry on. <laughs> Carry on, yes, carrying on. Reflections of Earth, uh, Illuminations 2000, the music, and the real thrill of the event. Uh, this is the lasting segment of the Epcot celebration. It's pretty much what we still have today. We meet the key players of the nighttime extravaganza as they struggle to create this epic show. The group heads to China to purchase and design one-of-a-kind fireworks, including fireworks with computer chips inside, which was the first time they had used that. And Gavin Greenway, the composer, is introduced, and he takes us through his process of creating the music. And then uh, we get to spend a little bit of time looking at the design and the creation of the Earth globe, which is, is probably a favorite part of that show itself. Sharing the celebration, that section, looks at the Millennium Village and the uh, <clears throat> Leave a Legacy. Me. No comment, Jeff? The, oh, the, the, mo the monuments? The, the monuments, yeah. The, the mausoleum, if you will. The mausoleum. The, uh, the last section of the book 
sharing the celebration, details the story of the Millennium Village itself. This was an area between the Canada and UK pavilion. And ideally, it was sort of a way for the countries from around the world to be a part of the celebration. But uh, I bet it was also a way to drum up additional sponsor countries. <clears throat> Not going to say anything else. Uh, and celebrate the history and the heritage. We uh, meet a lot of the cast members from all over the world that took part in it. And the last part of the book is on the Leave a Legacy Monuments. <clears throat> I'm going to try to be a little more excited about this section. You, really, you can't be. You really no, you can't, can't be. be. I'm sorry. You know, it, the most exciting part is that John Hench had a huge part in designing them. You think they would have helped them out a little bit. But well, they would have all ended up purple. Well, that's well, it, purple yeah. would have related back to figment, so I guess oh, that's kind that's of okay. Henshi and purple from the future. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, th this book is kind of neat, and I've had it in my collection for many years because it's kind of rare for Disney to create a book that takes us behind the scenes for a parade, basically. And it's actually only one of two books that celebrated Parade at Disney. Do you remember what the other book is, Jeff? Uh, it's Disney on Disney on Parade was the book, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the America, America on Parade. Bam! I remember was, past was, episodes. Awesome. Well, because you had to edit them. Um, this fair, this fair book point. is really, really for the fans of the Millennium Celebration, <laughs> however many there are. <laughs> all all two of them. Yes, and theme park completionists. All right. And Before the, the you end this, yes, oh, I'm yes. sorry. No, say the title again. Go ahead. Okay. Marking the Millennium, the celebration of a lifetime at the Walt Disney World Resort. Okay. If you, if anybody out there listening to the show was a fan of that wand, please email us because I would love to hear from you and know your reasoning why you love that wand. And you know what? I have actually have a piece of the wand sitting on my shelf behind me. So if you email me and you tell me a good reason why you like the wand, I will send you that piece of the wand that I have. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's a debate. Who's gonna win it? So by now, I'm sure you guys heard about the opening of New Fantasyland, which we saw before it officially opened. Sorry, guys. Anyway. You mean those mommy bloggers weren't the first? No. Even though New Fantasyland has always been there, the villains have just been hiding it this entire time. We were <sighs> actually in there before everybody else. Who knew it? So this week, or, or this time on the Disney debate, I kind of wanted to talk about something that I've been pretty outspoken about since they started and that was this whole campaign social media campaign about the dragon for new Fantasyland. and <laughs> why are you why are you laughing already because i've heard this from you over the past couple of weeks well i've been really <laughs> outspoken about it and my entire my entire thing about it is it was terrible i'm sorry <laughs> it was absolutely terrible this is part of what i do for a living and it made me cringe every time they did something like okay, this. Okay, well, well, let's back up a little bit. So a couple weeks ago, I don't remember the exact date. Um, no, you got to start from the beginning. Back in 1971, <laughs> when they were building the Magic Kingdom, they apparently came across this egg be somewhere behind the castle. And the egg was already hatched. And then they saw footprints, and apparently a dragon lived there, and he flew away, and nobody ever saw him again. The end. 
But then it wasn't the end because <gasps> some enterprising young, re well, not really young, some enterprising blog writer for the Disney blog came across these pictures with, with the original WED logo on them and was like, hey, there's a dragon. And then he was getting all these videos from people all over the place that apparently liked the movie Cloverfield too much. And he was seeing all these other pictures of the dragon all over. And then there was other videos of people in the contemporary that were seeing things flying around at night. Guys, it was a terrible idea, okay? Can we just stop right here and just... We can all agree that this whole social media campaign was a horrible, 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 horrible idea, right? Like, does anybody else agree with me on this? Yeah, you gotta remember, I mean, Disney is a huge company, you know, with a marketing arm that's, you know, massive. Massive. So, for the most part, they really know what they're doing. You know, I mean, they can put that ad campaign and I'm like, I'm going to take my daughters to Disney. Oh, wait, I don't have daughters. Okay, I want to have daughters to take them to Disney so they could be princesses. I mean, that's how good their marketing is. You know that. But for some reason, whenever they try to do anything social, media type, viral, you know, something like that, it just doesn't fall flat. It doesn't fall flat. No, it does <laughs> fall flat. Excuse me. And it's just something they can't pull off because they're too big, they're too massive, people don't take it seriously. And, you know, in hindsight, Jeff, I think it was a perfect media campaign for what they ended up with and who it was for. Um, a little bit of hindsight for, no, a little bit of detail for everybody. I'm using the word hindsight a lot, there must be something wrong. Um, a little bit of detail for everybody. Uh, because of a certain association with a certain website that both Jeff and I have, we were not invited to the Fantasyland media preview. We're not bitter at all. But, you know, they did end up inviting hundreds, if not thousands, of mommy bloggers and other people that would say nice things. Well, and it was the perfect audience for this dragon campaign absolutely. with Gary and everything they did. And I. Did, it doesn't matter like it. I mean, when when we saw their thing live or when they posted the first video, the first thing you see is like, for one night only, a dragon flew over New Fantasyland. And it's sort of like... That made me All angrier. of this build up just for that. And there were even a few people I've talked to afterwards that like went to go ride the Little Mermaid in the middle of it and missed the whole thing. Didn't even know it was going to happen. Um it looked pretty spectacular. You got to admit that. I mean, I got, that you know what? Amazing. I have to say, like seeing the video that the official Disney Parks blog posted of the dragon in action flying over New Fantasyland, like they posted it right after it happened. It looked <laughs> absolutely incredible. The wings were flapping. It was shooting fire. That was amazing. And I, I don't have a problem with the dragon. My problem is if they did not do this stupid social media campaign and they just had the dragon as a surprise during yeah. that night. It would, it would have, have blown been, everybody away. And people would have been talking about it for years. Just we were the only ones who saw the dragon. It was amazing. But they had to do the build up for it. And I mean, look at what they, they interviewed, you know, the princesses and, they and the villains and, and the villains about it. And, and some strange mouse, some character. shadowy mouse, some shadowy character. mouse character. Probably I mean, I written admit, by Leonard Kinsey or something. Because oh, yeah. He didn't want yeah. his identity known. He didn't want his identity shown. But, you know, the, the, the best video by far was seeing Gary. But see, we know his name. So that says something. Yeah. You know, in, in the weird dragon pajamas. That was I, hysterical just because it was ridiculous to see a grown man dressed like that. I just I, I don't. I don't get it. I didn't understand it. I, uh, their intentions were good. I will give them that. Their execution was terrible. I yeah, did not was. enjoy it. And 
Especially if it was, it was all this build-up for a one-time, quote-unquote one-time, I'm sure we'll see it again. One-time thing, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Exactly. exactly. So, you know, I, I think I kind of agree with you that it, was, it wasn't, wasn't a good campaign for people like us and probably most of the people that listen to our show. But for the audience that was there and is going to write about Disney and got, you know, a three-day free trip, free food, free alcohol, uh, they're going to love it. They're going to rave over it. So it, it worked. So for what they wanted. Rest of the world, awesome. Everybody else, uh, I mean, not rest of the world. You know, the people that were there, awesome. <laughs> rest of the world, um, this will go under their limited time blunder campaign. Ooh. That's what I'm. That's what I'm calling it right now. Limited time blunder. Yep. Interesting. One night only. Dragon. Sometimes you might see it. Sometimes you don't. Hey, look what's that? It's a five-legged goat. While on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad in Walt Disney World, you travel through the mostly abandoned town of Tumbleweed. Though you travel pretty quickly, you may glimpse into the Gold Dust Saloons. Even though it's flooded, you can still see the inside the inner workings of the bar. And if you take a look at the table in there, you can see that the residents were right in the middle of a card game of poker when the flood struck and they had to hightail it out of there. So the cards are still on the table, their drinks are still on the table as well, left half empty. There's bottles of other things right along, you know, back of the bar. So to me, this is the perfect example of incredible theming because it's something that you will barely ever see and I only happened to catch it when I was on the regular railroad and I snapped a picture of it because we were stuck for a minute. Awesome, awesome details of the original Magic Kingdom. Well, thanks so much for watching and listening. Be sure to leave us a comment and rate us on iTunes. Always, you can email us at communicorweekly at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash communicorweekly. And follow us on the Twitter. We love being followed. I'm at Imaginerding, and he's at Jeff Heimbuck. I'm George. And I'm Jeff. And thanks for watching. We'll see you next time on Communicore Weekly, the greatest online show. Making the magic.